0: Welcome. We are in week two of our series called Holy, 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 or we've just called hashtag Holy three. Uh, if you doing any social media, we have just, we had such a great kickoff to last week. Great kickoff to talk about the holiness of God. If you missed last week, I'm telling you, you, you want to listen. You want to kind of take in, uh, just the glimpse of Isaiah and the holiness of God. Um, I can even feel, I I will say, especially since we preached on worship about three weeks ago or four weeks ago, there's just a difference in the atmosphere on Sunday mornings. And even last week, uh, we were just talking about the holiness of God. You can just sense there is is an aspect of worship, uh, a focus, consecration in the house. And we're going to continue in that series. And today we want to talk about the transcendence of God. I want to read from Exodus chapter 3. And if you would, would you stand for the reading of the word this morning? Exodus 3. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led this flock to the west side of the wilderness, and he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush... He looked, and behold, and the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. And then he said, do not come near, take off your sandals, take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground." And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Let's pray this morning. From the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, your word declares that your name is to be praised. And Lord, we do that with song. We do that, Lord, with our attitudes. We do that with our ability to not just listen, but more specifically to respond to you Your name is to be praised. And so I pray that today that you would give us a glimpse of your transcendence. That you would give us a glimpse of who you are to understand you deeper, to know you more. So Lord, I ask that not a single person who is watching um, on Facebook Live, YouTube Live, or here together with us would leave the same way that we have walked in. Help us to see you in a new light. Help us to understand you. And help us to be transformed in your presence. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said... Before you see it, turn to your neighbor and say, go Eagles. Go Lions. Lions. 57 years, we've never lost the Super Bowl in Detroit. When I go to sleep at night... Um, I usually have to watch something to wind my brain down. My brain just, it doesn't stop. It it has, I need things to kind of relax my brain. So I will watch, uh, I watch some Facebook videos, YouTube videos. There's something somewhat funny or interactive. I am, my wife says I need to stop watching uh, videos of of military men and women coming home and surprising their families because she wakes up to me weeping uh, in bed Somebody, last night, I, I spoke at uh, our, our Spanish church's uh, marriage night, and somebody's like, you cry during movies? You're one of those people? i like, yeah, I am proud to be a crier. I am proud. 20% of you are proud that your pastor's a crier. That's awesome. And there's one set of videos, and the reason why I clicked on the video, because it looks like somebody who attends here. I'm like, oh, he's making videos. And so I, I'm, I'm a little nervous. Whenever your congregation's making videos, you, you're like a little nervous. And so I click on it, it's actually not him, and, he's, and he starts talking about, here are maps that will change the way you see the world. And there's like 25 of them, and I may have watched them all in one sitting. good like a minute long. And so I want to give you a few maps that may make you change the way you see things in the world. The first one is Alaska. Did you realize how big Alaska actually is? From the tip of the Aleutian Islands all the way to the other side, it is almost the same distance from the east coast to the west coast of the continental United States. That's the size of Alaska. Some of our globes are lying to us. How about this? Look at this picture of, of, of Australia. Everything in white in Australia, everything in white makes up for, wrap your head around this, 2% of their population. All of their population, 98% is in the green areas and the green little dots. The majority of the country, nobody lives there. How about this? The location of most of the world's population. Everything in this circle on this map, there are more people living inside this circle than outside of this circle. In fact, in there is, the, is what we know in the church world we call the 1040 window, the latitude and longitude of this area of the world. It is the most unreached area of the world where people have yet to hear the name of Jesus. This is why K-First and our missions, that when we talk to missionaries who are going into this part of these parts of the world, we tend to, uh, I'll use the word favor them, um, in terms of getting them out there because there are millions and millions of people who need to hear the name of Jesus. How about this? Have you ever noticed the size, the actual size of the Pacific Ocean? The Pacific Ocean is so big that you could take most of the continents of the world and actually fit them into the Pacific Ocean. Here's one that will maybe break your brain a little bit. A few years ago, they declassified, and I think it was wrong. I think it was something that the church would rise up against. It was wrong to declassify Pluto as a planet. We should do something about that. I don't know what to do. But have you realized how big Pluto actually is? Here's Pluto next to Australia. Did Th- that break anybody's brain? You're thinking a planet has got to be of a certain size. So that's Pluto and it's one of its moons next to Australia. That's how small it is. You're like, well, it doesn't deserve to be a planet. <sighs> how about this? The sheer size of Africa. We look at the size of Africa and the amount of countries, China, the United States, Spain, France, Germany, India, Eastern Europe. you You can fit all of these countries into the continent of Africa. That's how immense it is. And perhaps the most important map and the realization about a map you need to see is this. Here we have North America and South America turned on its side. Why is this so important? Because when you look at this, you realize it's in the shape of a duck. So what would you learn at church today? We live on a duck. Maps that will make you change the way you see things. A.W. Tozer, I'm going to quote Tozer a few times today. He is, a, he is a theologian, a preacher, well-known author. He says this, what comes to your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about us. And one of my hearts for this series is that we would get a brand new glimpse of God. And that we would look into the scripture, that we would look to God and get such a new glimpse of God that we would no longer look at God the same way. For so many of us last week, where we walk in, we we preach, and I believe we should preach that God is love. Do we not believe that God is love? But the scriptures absolutely say that God is love. But often we will only preach that God is love, not recognizing that God is holy. And God actually, the scriptures actually emphasize the holiness of God more than the love of God. It doesn't mean that God is any less love, but you cannot separate the love of God and the holiness of God. And so we have to get a brand new glimpse of God because if we understand God in his love and we understand God in his holiness, that becomes honestly the most important thing because why is that the most important thing? Because then it's how you relate to God. We have a move of what we call progressive Christianity that I think is trying to decrease not just the power and the authority of Scripture but also the role of God because we begin to diminish the justice of God, the discipline of God, and we only highlight the mercy and the grace and the love of God. But when we do that, we diminish who he is and we sell him. Short for who he is, and therefore, our worship is always never so full because we don't see God for who he is. I want to tell you something this morning that it is hard to fully worship God if you partially understand him. It is hard to fully worship God if you partially understand him. We come to this amazing scripture as a child it is it was one of my favorite portions of scriptures primarily because it deals with fire i was such a pyromaniac that when i walked the line to high school graduation the entirety of my family uncles aunts cousins grandparents all stood up with big lighters holding them up in the air Ask my parents i burnt down part of a fire i've part, part of a forest um, i burnt uh, the rug in the bathroom the carpet in my room my uncle's bedroom the entirety of it i've got problems and so when I thought when I think about the transcendence of God and talk about the transcendence of God. You've got to talk about Moses and the story of the burning bush. Moses, who is a shepherd at this point, before he was the deliverer of Israel, he was a shepherd. Before he learned to lead people, he had to learn how to lead sheep. This is a great leadership lesson for things that we want God to give us a lot of authority, a lot of things to do, but we won't be faithful in the small things before, we, before he gives us the big things. God trusts us with the big things. Let stop praying for God to give us more when we have yet to be faithful with what he's given us now. Amen. That is its own message and that's off my notes. But Moses just going into the wilderness with the sheep was nothing new. This was normal. This is just business. To see a bush, to see greenery, was nothing new. And to be honest, there are times that you know, a bush could catch on fire. There are lightning strikes. There are things that could happen um, where bushes would burn. And so, If a bush was burning, that was just not a big deal. This was not necessarily out of the norm. But the bush would burn for just a little bit of time. And then you have the smell of smoke. You would see the ash of all that was left. But what what was so peculiar about this moment is there was a bush and there was fire. But the fire was independent of the bush. There was fire that was burning, but the bush was not consumed And he looked at it, and he was wondering, what is this sight?" And then the answer spoke. Exodus 3, verse 4. The Lord saw that Moses turned his attention. He called to him, saying, Moses, Moses. And Moses answered, here I am. And he said, don't come near. Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place that you're standing on is holy ground. The ground became holy because God separated it unto himself. And it was there that we have what a theologian might call the self revelation of the transcendent God. That word that I'm using this morning, transcendence, is a word that we don't always utilize. It's a very deep word. Uh, it's what we might call the otherness of God. What do we mean by that? That God is in- infinitively different from anybody and everything else. He is ontologically set apart. Maybe the best word, the most common word that we can utilize for a simple understanding is is the transcendence of God, is the uniqueness of God. In other words, he transcends all categories. He is the transcendent God. A.W. Tozer says this, you may find this hard to believe, God is just as far above an archangel as he is a caterpillar. That broke my brain. Because as human beings, we assign levels and importance to things, to people, to objects, to titles. And so we think of a little caterpillar. What's a caterpillar? It's a a hairy worm. And we think of that as low. And we think of an archangel that's way up somewhere. But the reality is this, that both are created creatures. God is not. He is the self-existing one. Isaiah chapter 40 verse 12 says, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Or marked off the heavens with the span of his hand. Who has gathered the dust of the earth in a measure. Or weighed the mountains on a balance and has the hills on scales. Who has directed the spirit of the Lord. Or who gave him counsel. Who did he consult. Who gave him understanding and taught him the paths of justice. Who taught him knowledge and and showed him the way of understanding. What is this saying? That God was not created. We were. Where did you learn your lessons in life? I learned mine from my parents. I learned mine from coaches, from Mr. Rogers. Oh, y'all watch Mr. Rogers, don't give me that. Learned it from peers, from friends. We all, when it comes to life, we've all learned from somebody. And here Isaiah writes, and it's the word of the Lord, who taught God? Nobody. God is self-existent. He is unique. He is transcendent. R.C. Sproul says this, when the Bible calls God holy, it means primarily that God is transcendentally separate he is so far and above us that it seems almost so totally foreign to us to be holy is to be other to be different in a special way that's why it shatters our thinking when we talk about the uniqueness how God is, is, is transcendent. he is separate because we measure everything by what we can look at what we can touch what we can compare but when we talk about God God is transcendent. he is unique and he is above all and separate from all So this morning I want to talk about God's transcendency. I want us to walk away with a greater understanding of the transcendency of God. How do we describe God's transcendency? Let's break it down first. Let's talk about God's sufficiency. God's sufficiency. We can observe the sufficiency of God in Exodus chapter 3 at the burning bush. How do we observe it? It's because the fact that the plant was able to remain intact even though there was fire. Now, speaking of fire, (sighs) I love fire so much. (laughs) So, if I were to light this on fire, which I have, I'm not gonna set that near the fire, we see a piece of paper towel that is burning And this paper towel will burn as long as it has two things. As long as it has something to fuel it, which is the paper. And secondly, it needs oxygen to help it burn. If I were to take a glass globe and place it over top of it sealed, it would snuff out the fire because it loses the breath. If I were to douse it to take away maybe even to wet the paper towel, it gives the fire no fuel. But we can see that the fire will last as long as there is oxygen and as long as there is fuel for that. The reason why we see the burning bush as the sign of the transcendency of God, that he is all sufficient, is that God was free from any need. Why did the bush not burn? Because God didn't need fuel for his fire. God didn't need the bush to burn the bush, the, the twigs, the leaves. He didn't need any part of the bush for him to be. God is. He is self existent. He is self sustaining. And to be dependent upon anything is to be a creature. Everything that is, everything that exists needs something outside of itself. When you and I were born, guess what? We did not walk out of the womb, go feed ourselves, take care of ourselves clothe ourselves, guard ourselves, protect ourselves, provide of ourselves. We were born as creatures in need. That's who we are. Everything that is needs something outside of itself. In fact, if you want to see God's self-sufficiency, all you got to do is go to the first book and the first chapter and the first verse of the entirety of the Bible and says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. What that tells me is something had to be before anything could. And that's the self-existing, self-sufficient God. God is not dependent upon his creation to do anything. Did you know this? That if you don't serve God, God still is. If you don't worship God, God still is. Acts chapter 17, verse 24 says, And the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needs anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Everything God has is coming from him. He doesn't lack. The bush burned, but it didn't burn. Why? He didn't need anything to fuel who he was. We need something to fuel our lives. He is God. He didn't need any of it. I want to give you the rest of the quote by Tozer. Let me read the whole quote. When the Bible calls God holy, it means primarily that God is transcendent, tr- transcendentally separate. He is so far above and beyond us that he seems almost totally foreign to us. To be holy is to be other, to be different in a special way. To admit the existence of a need in God is to admit incompleteness in the divine being. Need is a creature word. And that cannot be spoken of the creator. God has a voluntary relation to everything that he has made. But he has no necessity relation to anything outside of himself. His interest in his creatures arrives from his sovereign good pleasure, not from any need. These creatures can't supply nor any completeness they can bring to him who is complete in and of himself. God doesn't need us. But he chooses to be a part of us. He doesn't need our worship but invites us into the worship and his holiness and his sufficiency is so great that Jesus says that if we kept quiet that inanimate objects would have to cry out at his holiness and his greatness. He is the great I am. You see, if we imagine a God who needs anything, who needs us for anything, we are dreaming of an idol and not the great I am. Some of us think that God just needs us. Some of us believe that we are God's gift to the world. We just had a discussion this morning with one of our board members, and we talked about how the Spirit of God, that God loves to utilize us, but God just doesn't need us at all times. But He still chooses. That's the beauty of it all. He still chooses to work through us. So we talk about the the transcendence of God. There's God's sufficiency, but there's also God's greatness. God is transcendent because he's great. Psalms 97, for you, O Lord, are the most high over all the earth. You are exalted far above all, little g-gods. Psalm 145, 3, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And his greatness is unsearchable. First Chronicles twenty-nine, eleven: yours, O God, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted above all. The greatness of God. This is what I believe caught the glimpse, the eye, the imagination of Isaiah. We read Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. And we see that he saw God high and lifted up. When we talked about that. That was not about height. That was about God's supremacy. And there it says that the train of his robe filled the temple. God's train. You know what the train of a robe is? The train is the The ends. It's not the whole robe, it's the ends. The fringes of God's robe filled the temple. How great is God? And God called unto Isaiah. Now, there is a theologian I think every single one of us know. A theologian I think every single one of us recognize. And maybe you didn't realize he was a theologian and how much depth he knew of the Lord. But I believe that we need to talk about something he spoke into our childhood and he has spoken into our families because it helps us to understand the greatness of God. The theologian's name is Grover. Who is, by the way, the best Muppet on Sesame Street, period. Oscar's number two. My demeanor often looks like Oscar, but there's nothing that compares to Grover, specifically Super Grover. Anyways most of us that grew up watching Sesame Street, there is a specific vignette of Grover. And it's simply called Near Far. Does anybody remember Near Far with Grover? We need a greater educated congregation. Goodness gracious. somebody'll need a YouTube after service near and far. And so what happens is, would you put up the next slide in the video, Grover wants to ta- teach us near and far. And so he would run up to the camera and go, near. That's Grover's voice, by the way. And then he would run back, and he would go, far. Did you get that? This must sound terrible on the live stream. Near. Far. Now, man, that's going to mess up my voice there. i gotta, I got to preach in Esperanza this afternoon. I should, I should do near and far for that. Now, what does this teach us? Now, when it comes to the size of Grover, did they change out puppets when they did this vignette? Did Grover get bigger when he was near in terms of his actual size? Did he grow when he got near? Did he shrink when he got far? The answer is no, he was the same size. Why is it that he looks bigger because he's near? Some of us have this image of God because we serve God from afar. And when bad things happen to us, then all of a sudden we're like, where is God? Why does God seem so small? This is why we got to serve God on the good days and the bad days. Because what really caught Isaiah's focus is Isaiah came near to God. And when you're near to God, that's when we really see the immensity and the greatness of God. We need churches. We need people that are willing to draw near to God. Because the promise is when we draw near, he will draw near to us. And we can get so caught up thinking that God is so small, that God is so far. But if we would draw near, we would understand how big and how great God is. God is the same size He always has. And that's a weird theological statement there. Does God actually have size? But the reality is, I believe we would understand the greatness of God if we were to capture a glimpse of who he is. That's why in Isaiah chapter 6, it starts off by saying, and the year that King Uzziah died. And then in verse 5, he says, I behold the king of God's sovereign armies. We see two kings mentioned because in the earthly, he saw a king for who he was. And in the heavenlies, he saw God for who he was. The transcendence of the greatness of God. I love Ezekiel when Ezekiel caught a glimpse of God. I love Ezekiel's struggle to describe God. Ezekiel 1, verse, 26 through 29. And above the expanse over their heads there was the likeness of a throne, the appearance like sapphire. Seated above the likeness of the throne was the likeness of a human with a, was a likeness with a human appearance. And upwards from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw, as if it were, it were, were gleaming metal like the appearance of fire all around. Now notice, he keeps saying, it's kind of like this, it had the appearance of this, like the prophet is struggling. It's a downward from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw if it were the appearance of fire, and there was brightness around him like the appearance of a bow in the cloud on the day of rain. So it was the appearance of brightness all around. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell on my face, and I heard the voice of one speaking. Have you ever read that and noticed the amount of times you read the word appearance? He doesn't know how to describe God. He's like, God is like this, and it was like this, and like this, and... It really doesn't matter, and he just fell on his face before the Lord. The greatness of God. So when we talk about the, tra- the, the transcendence of God, the uniqueness, the, the, the separateness of God, we could talk about his sufficiency. His separate in his greatness. He is unique in his understanding. That God has understanding that we don't have. So often, this is something that I find that we get mad at God because God doesn't tell us everything that he knows. And we have no patience for God, but we've got patience when we tell our kids, you'll learn this when you grow up. Or why can't I do that? You'll learn when you're older. Someday you'll learn when you're a parent. We have no problem withholding information that they cannot comprehend or they cannot know, that they can't see or get right now. But yet we still get upset at God when God says no to us. Or God says wait. Or God gives us a different direction. It was in the Garden of Eden. What was the temptation given to Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3? The serpent came up and said, listen... What has God told you not to do? Well, we we shouldn't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Do you want to know why? Because God doesn't want you to know things. And so Adam and Eve, they broke God's rule, the one rule they were given. Isn't that just like all of us? You give a kid one rule, don't touch this one thing. What do they want to do the rest of the day? They want to touch that thing. Adam and Eve, I want to know what God knows. Read the book of Job and the struggle that Job goes. I want an answer, God. Why are these things happening? And there are times, there are times we have to trust in the transcendent God, the all-powerful God, the understanding God, that when he simply says, there are things that you cannot know or comprehend, you need to trust in me. Isaiah 55, 8 through 9, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and your thoughts my thoughts. I will say this thank God for that. How many of you you prayed for things in middle school that you thank God that he never answered? How many of you thank God for some prayers in high school that God did not answer yes to? Some of you in middle school, you prayed for God to help you marry somebody and look back and you're like, thank you, Jesus, for your mercy and your grace. How many of you have moments in your adult life where you prayed for a job to open up and that job didn't open up because there was a better job on the other side? or you prayed for an outcome in your life and you wanted this outcome so bad, but all of a sudden when you look in hindsight, isn't the beauty of 2020 in your, your rear view uh, vision, look back and you realize, had God given me what I want, not only would I have not learned what I was supposed to learn, but I would never have stepped in the blessing that I was supposed to step into. Because if God wasn't the script writer of our life and we were the script writer, some of us, we would not learn the lessons that we ought to have learned and grown the way that we, not, that we would not have grown. Some of our greatest growth has come not because we were the script writers, but because of God. His understanding. That takes me to number four. We understand the transcendence of God by looking at his capacity. We are limited, and yet God knows no limits. In the book of Job, I love reading Job. Read Job when you're in a good season of life, by the way. Job can be challenging. And Job had a friend... They tried speaking into his life, and his friend's name was Zophar. And Job was questioning God, and Job 11, chapter, uh, chapter 11, verse 7 through 10 says, Can you find out the deep things of God? Can you find out the limit of the Almighty? Is it higher than heaven? What can you do? Deeper than Sheol, what can you know? It is, its measure is longer than the earth and broader than the sea. If it passes through an if he passes through and imprisons and summons to the court, who can turn him back? So far calls him to question and is saying, man, your capacity, you can question your capacity. Don't question God because God's capacity is limitless. In fact, it was, the, it was prophets and even psalmists. Read through the Psalms. That's what I'm doing right now in my own personal devotions. It's reading through the Psalms. And one of the tactics of a psalmist and the prophet was to try to compare God to something in the earthly. Not because they wanted to shrink God down, but they're trying to understand God deeper. Read the Psalms. God, you are like this. God, your heavens are like this. Your power is like this. And even as much as we can desc- try to describe God, and as much as I'm trying to do this in a message, it always falls short to who God really is. Isaiah 40, 18. To whom then will you compare or liken God? Or what likeness can you compare to him? Isaiah also says in Isaiah 40, 25. To whom will you compare me? Or who is, who is my equal? asks the Holy One. From God's capacity, we see God's capability. God's capability. How capable, how powerful is God? Job 26, 7 says, He stretches out the north over the void and hangs the earth on nothing. Whew. That's almost a sila pause moment. Have you ever seen the earth from outer space? Okay, I haven't either, but... What holds the earth upright? You can give me all sorts of answers, but he stretches, the, he stretches out the north over the void and hangs the earth on nothing. He binds the water in his thick clouds, and the cloud is not split open under them. He covers the face of the full moon and spreads over it his cloud. He has inscribed a circle on the face of the waters, at the boundary between light and darkness. The pillars of heaven tremble and are astounded at his rebuke. By his power, he stills the sea. By his understanding, he shattered Rahab. By his wind, the heavens were made fair. His hand pierced the fleeing serpent. Behold, these are but the outskirts of his ways, and how small a whisper do we hear of him, but the thunder of his power, who can understand? Now that word outskirt, can we go back one slide? There's a word there, outskirts, that I want you to see because some of us don't know what outskirts are, but we're actually being brought back to a word that was really utilized in the book of Isaiah chapter 6 when we talk about the train of his temple. It is the fringes. Some translations actually use the word fringes. It is the fringes of God. Behold, what we're seeing is what we got. Behold, what we've experienced is the fringes of God. They may not seem like a big deal, but how many in this house, how many in this house have experienced the salvation of Jesus Christ? Anybody besides me? Phenomenal. How many of you have experienced healing power? You've been healed. How many of you have been baptized in the Holy Spirit with power? How many of you have had powerful worship moments where God just touched your life in a dramatic way? We could keep talking about all the amazing things God has done. You know what that is? It's the fringes. It's just the fringes. It's just the edges of what God can do. You know what that does? That encourages my heart. Because no matter what I face, no matter what I go through, that just the fringes of God can change my life, can heal my life, can transform my life, can heal my marriage, can set my life free. And if that's just the fringes of God, what happens when God begins to pour his presence out even more so? I say, God, do it over our city. Do it over our county. God, give us, even if it's just the fringes, we will never be the same again. This is the transcendence of God. And look at the words. Go, go to the next slide. No, 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 sorry, that one. My bad. Stay. Go back. And how small of a whisper do we hear, next slide, of him? We're doing a training session called Hearing the Voice of God. Even when we hear his voice, it's just the fringes. I've heard God speak. He's got more to speak to you. There's more French. There's more of the fringes. We've had an amazing two months here in the start of, of 2023 at our church. I've heard from so many different people, so many different individuals that say God is up to something at our church. Do you know what's going on right now? It's the edge of the fringe. There's so much coming, so much that is happening. And the closer we get, the more we understand. Isaiah 40, 22. It is he who sits above the circle of the earth... And its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in. It's the transcendence of God. It's the greatness of God. Well, why are the fringes so powerful? We haven't even got to the rest of the garment because he's the greatness of the transcendent God. Why doesn't he need us and need our worship and need our praise? Because he's the transcendent God. We just get to be invited to be a part of the fringes and the outskirts of it all. And when he whispers, the whisper isn't just to give us all that he is. The whisper becomes like an appetizer where we say, God, give us more. God, give us more. God, just give us more. And so the question I wrote down this week, I'm like, okay, what do we do with this? What do we do with the transcendence of God? How does the transcendence of God change us? You see, when we we get a glimpse of God's grandeur, it doesn't tell us that God is distant. When we see the greatness, the magnitude, the sufficiency, the the capability, the capacity of God, it doesn't, for some people, like, well, it makes God distant. He's so big that that, that we're just so little, and he's so big. I actually think it does the opposite. It reminds us that God, high above, has come down below due to his love for us. When I think of the transcendence, it doesn't make me feel that God is far away. It reminds me that God and his love for us has come down to us. Because this is his love for us. His love. In fact, I have my keyboards join me. David summarizes this beautifully in Psalm 138. I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods I sing your praise and I bow down to your holy temple to give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. On the day I called you, You answer. I don't know about you, I wouldn't be here if on the day I called out to God that he did not answer. It just astounds me that one who sits on the throne, the almighty, the transcendent, the God who breathed life out of nothing, I've called the people and they don't answer. I've called to my family before. They didn't answer. AirPods were in. I've called the people in stores. Hey! And I don't know if they just didn't want to see their pastor in public. Or they just didn't hear. But have you ever called up to somebody and they didn't answer? There have been moments as a pastor that people call out to me. And as a pastor, I dropped the ball and didn't answer. Maybe not in the way I should have, but I... I'm very thankful that the transcendent, all-powerful, almighty, most unique, fully capable, fully sufficient, that the, the holy one in the bush, that when I called out, and if you call out, he'll answer. And the day I called out, you answered me. My strength of my soul, you increased All of the kings of the earth will give you thanks, O Lord, for they have heard the words of your mouth, and they shall sing the ways of the Lord, for the great is the glory of the Lord, for the Lord is high. And he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. Now even there, the haughty, the prideful, it looks like God is just kind of keeping them back. But I don't think it's God keeping them back. I think they're keeping themselves back, because the further we back away, the more sufficient that we think that we can be. And what ends up happening is we try to be the burning bush, but the problem is, is everything that we have and everything that we are has to feed and survive off of something. And for some of us, the fix of our life comes from what we're watching on the TV or comes from a drug we're fueling our life with or comes from a job that we think gives us all of our meaning or comes from our our marriage for we think that should complete our lives. And I'm not against jobs. I'm not against TV. I'm not against things around us but none of those things are ever meant to sustain us and then we become bushes that are burning and we have been we're burnt out we're tired we're weary and what we need is we need to have that fire of God's spirit in our lives so much that instead of feeding off of things of this world that just burn away we begin to fuel off of who he is And when the moments of depression and moments of discouragement come in, and it doesn't mean that we don't go through the valley, but we've got somebody with us in the middle of the valley. Like the Hebrew children in Daniel, when they were thrown into the furnace, and they looked in, and they said, I thought we threw three people into the furnace. And they said, I see a fourth, and he looks like the Son of God. And when they came out of the furnace, the scripture says they didn't even smell like smoke. Why? Because what sustained them was not from this world, it was God that sustained them. The transcendent God who recognizes us. And the scripture says he comes down to the lowly. Who's the lowly? It's me, it's you. He comes down and he knows us. I love my mentor almost as much as I love my father. I love my dad, he is, he is my hero. My mentor, Joel Stocker, he was my pastor in Midland, Michigan. My absolute, he's, he's, I love Joel. And we had gone through a rough time when we first got in ministry. A lot of our, a lot of our, our, our testimony in our life we've shared before, but we went through some abuse. We went through church hurt. We went through some rough stuff. And we, I made a move, I mo- made my wife move to Midland, eight months pregnant. <sighs> we got to Midland, we, we gave birth, Ann gave birth to Ethan, I did not give birth. She did the work. And I remember our pastor invited us over, our ho- over his house to watch March Madness, which I was shocked. I'm like, he wants Our pastor wants to get to know us. But I had this this high view of pastors. A noble, untouchable, perfect lives. Nothing ever goes wrong with them. And let me just tell you, that's a lie from the pit, by the way. And during a commercial, because let's just be real. you You never talk during sporting events. You talk during commercials. Advice for tonight. But during the commercial, my wife was talking, I think, with Donna, Joel's wife, and she made a comment. Ethan is getting ready to crawl. And my pastor, I don't know why he always slaps his knees. He's like, are you serious? Are you serious? And he grabs Ethan from my my wife's arms, puts him on the floor, and he got down on all fours. Crawl for pasture. Crawl for pasture. You could do this. I want to be the one that you crawl for. And left... Honestly, in tears. Well, he stole her child. It had nothing to do with that. We had a pastor that that knew that every single person in the church was important, whether they were on the verge of crawling or they were the biggest tither. Every person mattered. And I remember saying to myself, that's the pastor I want to be, whether they're newborn or far from being born. That's the type of pastor. Everybody mattered. And I remember just breaking and having to talk with him and letting him know, like, listen, we're not angry, but there's just something that you've shown us today that has absolutely rocked our world. It brought healing to our life, that our pastor loved every one of us, and it gave us such a glimpse of God that day. And you may think you're nothing. You may think you're on the outskirts. You may think that you don't matter to God. But it doesn't matter who you are. He knows you by name. He knows the number of hairs on your head. He knows who you are. And he looks at you and he loves you. And if you would call out to him, he's not going to put you in the back burner. He makes you priority. Well, what if more than one person calls out? He's the transcendent God. He doesn't need just one. He he can give all of you his attention all at once. Because he's transcendent. And I say this of God. There is no one like you, Lord. No one is creator but God. No one has all power but God. No one knows the beginning from the end at the same time except God. No one is all wise but God. No one forgives sins but God. No one can grant eternal life but God. No one has the answer. No, no, one, ha- no one has no one to answer to but God. No one is a changing but God. No one is completely good but God. Who then can we compare him except to himself? It is only when we become like him that we can be considered different than the world in which we live. But God did not come here to anyone to be made unique. He already is. And my response to the transcendence of God is simply this: is save me, Lord, and change me, Lord. I love the challenge this morning. The only way to respond to him is that we would draw close that we become like him. Because how will this world see a transcendent God if we, the church, don't walk with the image of the transcendent God upon our lives? So my word is, Lord, save us. Change us. Bow your heads with me.